Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. How to follow your vision with Frank Osgood. Welcome, friends. This is going to be a really fun show, so get your tea and sit down and get ready for a great conversation. Frank and I have known each other for a while, and when I first met him, the only thing I thought of is, I have to know this guy. He has a sense of humor. He's a talented and gifted musician in lots of different ways. And one of the things I love about Frank is his intelligence and his way of having you feel comfortable being around him. So you're just going to love this interview. And he's graciously taking the time to be with us the day after his birthday. So first, welcome to the show, Frank, and happy birthday. Thanks, Diane. to celebrate birthdays with people because it's like, you know, I think the angels were singing when we're born and that's a beautiful thing. So I'd like to start this interview a little bit with, well, you're a guitar player. And, um, and so how old were you when you knew that like music was in your bones? How did that all happen? I'm just really curious. Well, I'm not really sure because my my father was a professional uh, studio jazz drummer. So I grew up in Hollywood. His name was Buddy Osgood. His real name is Franklin J. Osgood. I'm Franklin J. Osgood Jr., but he didn't like that name. And back then, you know, in the 60s, having a, a nickname Buddy as a drummer was, you know, kind of a good thing. <laughs> right. um, and so, I mean, just as, you know, as long as I can remember, I have just been around music. Um, had kind of a strange childhood because back then, and I was born in 66. So back then in the 60s, he would play a lot of clubs and every hotel had a band. If you went to the Hilton, there was a band. If you went to, you know, you could, we used to travel up the five and we'd stop, you know, and whatever the towns were, Fresno and Modesto. And he'd have gigs all the way up to Sacramento, Reno. And then same thing back down. There'd be a hotel and there'd be a, you know, a five, six piece band, people dressed in suits. And, um, and, you know, it was a different time. So, I mean, I guess you had to be 21 or whatever to be in the club, but I'm just this little kid running around backstage and no one ever really, you know, it was just a different era, you know? And, um, and it's funny when I, when I, uh, when I had to start going to kindergarten, that, that changed the dynamic of, of, you know, they just couldn't like, you know, bring me with them anymore. So my mom stayed home. And then she got a job. And if my dad was in a session at the Musicians Union over on Vine Street, which, you know, every time I drive, the building is still there. It's something else now. But every time I drive by, I'm like, you know, this was this is where I spent most of my uh, most of my time as a child is in that building. Downstairs, there was a pool hall and everyone smoked cigarettes, of course. And and, you know, they'd have I get paid to clean the ashtrays and all this kind of stuff. But. If my dad was in a session and, you know, and uh, and my kindergarten was over, he sort of set up this deal with my teacher. What was her name? Mrs. Blumenthal um, that said, look, you know, like someone's just going to show up and, and, you know, I'd be there. And, you know, someone I'd probably never met before. Hey, I'm here to pick up little Frankie or little buddy. They used to call me. And, 
okay, you know, we, and then whoever it was, it'd take me to the union and I'd just go hang out in the pool. So, but I used to hang out with Merv Griffin a lot. He was there a lot. Uh, if you remember him, I remember him. Yeah. He, he had a studio right up on High, Highland at TAV Studios and there was a bowling alley there or yeah, I think it was on, no, that was on Highland. Um, and so he was just around all the time. And, and, um, I just sort of knew him from just seeing his face on TV and, you know, he's, you know, he'd hang out with me sometimes, <laughs> play pool. And so, so anyway, so I was around music a lot. Uh, my dad tried to teach me drums, but I would always lose the sticks. Um, and he didn't like that. So, uh, so he had a guitar, he knew how to play, you know, guitar. And I don't, I don't even know how old I was when he started teaching me basic chords and stuff like that. You know, because it's always just kind of been around my family. You know what I mean? So it's in your DNA and, and all around your environment. My mom was a concert pianist. So we used to go from club to club to club. And my yeah. parents taught dance, um, jitterbug dancing and all the bands were there when I was a little kid. And my brother and I would be the ones running around. And you're telling that story. I'm like, oh, my God, I did this kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it, like you said, it was a different era. Yeah. A different era. So. I think that's really, really exciting. So tell me a little, or tell all of us, I guess, a little bit about what draws you to the rock and roll that you play now. Like, what draws you to that music? Was it because it was, that's what was big when you were little? Or how is that working? Because I think it's great music. Well, I grew up listening to strictly jazz and blues. You know, we had records and jazz records and blues records and Cassette tapes, I still have a lot. My dad passed away, but I have a lot of his old cassette tapes and stuff like that. Right. And he would teach me like theory. You know, he could sight read. He wrote charts for people. He's just an, an arranger. Like, you know, that that side of his brain, he was just a, like a genius, you know. And, um, but, you know, around junior high, right around then, you know, you know, like the first time I heard eruption or when I was, uh my neighbor uh i used to have these records and he came over with van halen one you know right when it came out in in hollywood there and he's like you have to listen to this and he put on eruption and i i remember telling him uh that's not a guitar man that's that's a synthesizer or something like you can't no one can make that sound on a guitar i said you're crazy and then uh but just the pictures the other songs the screaming you know, the first rock song that I heard on the radio is on the station, uh, KHJ. It was the Kinks Superman. Oh, wow. And I just remember being so mesmerized because here's rock music, but they're talking about Superman, which, you know, when you're, I was probably nine or 10 or whatever around that time. Mm -hmm. And just hearing that, just I just remember just being stopped in my tracks. And that was sort of the birth of the rock and roll side. Mm -hmm. And so my dad uh, sent me to this jazz teacher, you know, and he'd be like, okay, you know, eat, you know, every good boy does fun. And here's, a, I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to, I want to, I'd bring him whatever little, you know, Walkman or we'll go, I want to play this. And, and so I just sort of quit going to him because he, you know, um, he was from a different era and he was not like, there was a discernible line back then between like say, you know, my parents' generation and the rock and rollers. I think today things are really blended. Like, hey, your dad will go with you to a, a heavy metal concert, or I'll take my daughter to see Steely Dan or whatever. But back then, 
you know, I did not go see Van Halen shows with 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 my dad, and and he didn't he didn't like rock and roll because um, musically it didn't make sense, and it was too um, I, I don't I don't know the word, but you know, I remember I played him a Rush thing, you know, like some kind of Rush solo, and he picked up a stick and he did the same thing with one hand, and he walked away. I'm like, oh man, so you know, so because I'm really careful with my daughters if they go. Hey, here's this new band, and they're playing one chord three times. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I go, you know what? That's cool. You know, I don't try to rain on her parade, but so somewhere around there, right around uh, junior high, like, you know, all this stuff, and and I could play guitar, so it just, it, you know, I'm like, well, shoot, I can, I guess I can play Stairway to Heaven because I know how to play this other classical stuff. And at that time, it was actually a really hard time in my life those years because we moved around a lot, right? Like if you tell people from, I don't know, Indiana or something, oh, where are you, where were you raised? Oh, Hollywood. Oh, that sounds really glamorous. But when you're actually from there, it's kind of a different story. And we moved, we moved like, I, I think I went to 18 different schools growing up. So I was always kind of the new kid. Mm. And we would like LA could literally be its own country almost because if you're from the valley, you're you're a different person than someone from Huntington Beach or culturally even within L.A. County or Orange County or whatever. So we'd move from like Hollywood to Lakewood to Costa Mesa um, to Corona, which was like the middle of nowhere back at that time. Um, now that's where Fender is, you know, Corona to Van Nuys to just all over the place. And I was, I always had a tough time fitting in because I, I had like the wrong shoes, the wrong shirt, you know, like when I moved to, we moved somewhere near Orange County beach, you know, everyone there had OP shorts, vans, uh, dolphin t-shirts that were called lightning bolt. Yeah. And here I am looking like a little, like, you know, 11 year old Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> And so, so it was always tough being the new kid, but I remember we moved to, uh, the West Valley and I'm like, oh man, you know, it was like eighth or ninth grade, something like that. And I'm like, man, here I go again. You know, first day, don't know anyone. All these people have a history. And my mom said, why don't you take your guitar with you to school? I'm like, okay. So I did. And so I brought my guitar with me to school and then just sat, there was this thing called the ninth grade lawn, which I wasn't supposed to sit on, I guess. but. I brought my guitar and I sat there and just all the other guitar players sort of came out of the woodwork, you know, they're like, like, Hey, you know, uh, you know, like a 14, 15, Hey man, can you play it? And he, okay. Here's stairway to heaven. Here's, you know, some iron maiden. Here's, you know, my attempt at some Van Halen. solo. and I was instantly the best guitar player at that junior high. <laughs> so then I just had an instant set of friends. So I'm like, okay, everywhere, if I have to go to a new school, I'm bringing my guitar because that's my gateway to other musicians. And, and I still have those close relationships with people from that era. In fact, I just joined an Aerosmith tribute band. And one of those people that was there is in this band. He pulled me into this band like two or three weeks ago or a month ago. So the connections that I made with those other musicians have lasted like, I don't know, that was like 1982, 1983, whatever. And they haven't stopped. So that's one thing about being a musician or, you know, just being, uh, you know, you don't even have to be the the best or the worst, just being part of the community. Uh, it's just something that's really uh, amazing for me. You know, that's where I found my tribe. And those are the people that sort of saved me because 
I mean, being a teenager is tough enough, but being like the new kid every other week and stuff like that, that really, um, you know, that really, um, uh, it, it helped me spiritually, emotionally, you know, socially. And we did move around a couple more times, but we, we stayed in the West Valley. Right. So I'd move from, you know, DeSoto and Van Owen to Fallbrook and Van Owen, you know, we did, you know, no major. Okay. We're moving to, you know, Long Beach or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, it was a little bit more manageable, even though it was. Yeah. A little... Yeah. 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 So I have another interest, a curious question, especially since you've been like playing forever, you know, your, your whole life. And um, I think it was Walter Reyes who, who said it in his interview on this show. And he um, is playing with Chicago now. And um, Jim Peterick also said it a similar thing. And so I'm curious. Um, and that is that they were sharing the sentiment that they think in song and in lyric and in music. And then they almost have to translate into English so that, you know, in fact, Walter, he, the way he said it was that musicians have two languages, music and English. And so I'm wondering if that's what happens in Frank's head. Are you hearing song and thinking in song a lot behind the scenes, like in there? Oh, all the time. In fact, okay, this may sound totally bizarre, but if I'm at a light and I've got my turn signal going, I'll make stuff up to that beat. It goes, Dun, 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 dun. I, I rent cars a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in, a, I'm in a rental car, like every different rental car, almost every week. And they have <laughs> different turns. Different cars have different turn signal things. So you know, sometimes it'll go do 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 do, or sometimes it'll go do do do, and I'll just start making up a song, like you know, you know, it's. So you saw, so my answer is yes, but you know, one place that I really notice it is, is a turn signal. And I, I had to have an MRI once done on my, on my knee or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in the tube and they're like, everyone told me, man, you're going to freak out because yeah, you're in this tiny tube and there's these, I don't know if you've ever had one, yes, but the there's these noises going on. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put music to those noises because they're like beeps and bumps and stuff like that. And so, like, I had this, you know, and you have to kind of try to stay still in there, I guess. And I remember just sort of like, okay, this is going to, you know, instead of thinking like, wow, I'm in this crazy tube, you know, I'm not really claustrophobic, but I guess everyone might be when they're in that tube, you know, and I just started making music to that. So, yeah, I'm I'm one of those, I'm one of those people, I guess. <laughs> See, so I, uh, I think that that's, I think that's a universal truth. And I don't think too many people talk about it a lot, but I notice it keeps coming up. I, you know, as you know, I work with a lot of musicians and, and one of them that I tour with, I mean, he was fired from his first job in high school, working at a grocery store because he was humming all the time and making up songs, you know, as he was taking the bags out to the cars for the people and things. And the manager didn't like that. He was humming and um, that launched his career shortly after that. So (laughs) it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I've always want to ask people when I meet them who I know who are musicians, musicians, like, do you really think in music? Um, I think my mom did. She never said it, but I think she did. She was a concert pianist. And, and I'll bet if she was alive today, I think that would be a common, a common thing. Yeah. So, so I think the answer is yes. You know, my, if we were driving somewhere with my dad and we came home mm-hmm. and there, there was a song on, we would sit there and finish the song in the car. Yes. You know, all the time because he's like he's so locked into, um, 
that song and, and whatever it's doing for him. I mean, you know, we would just sit there and just take the time to absorb that music and listen to it, you know? So I think I, I kind of get that from my dad, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. I can't turn the car off in the middle of a song. No. <laughs> Somehow it feels personal. Like it's not done. You yeah. Don't know. Yeah. You know? Right. I don't know. It's, I think it's, I think it's one of those things. It's just in our genes. So you travel a lot because you play a lot, right? Yep. And what is the part of your professional music, musical career that is the most challenging for you? That if that you know, kind of annoys you the most, is there any part of it that's a challenge that you just kind of go, oh, I don't really want to do that part? Just dealing with different venues because everyone has their own system. Like, um, I won't say which one, but I did a gig not too long ago. I won't say which band or anything. And um, we got there and it was just, just the organization was um, like, there was no one really running things. Mm -hmm. And there was, um, they had a show up at five. We didn't go, we didn't start playing till eight, uh, 1130. And they were supposed to have this like row of amps and ours were going to be on the back because we were headlining and, and I don't know, like that, that part of it, but the before, the before part is great. And then once we got on stage, it, you know, it was great. We got on an hour late, which is a real bummer. Um, but you know, that, that to me, that, that side of it is, you know, um, that, you know, that, that's probably it right there. Just having to deal with, you know, different venues and load ins and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, we're not, you know, the bands I'm in, we're not ACDC. So we don't just, you know, step off a helicopter and walk on stage with a guitar. You know, we've got to deal with our own stuff. You know, we do get help sometimes at places where we play, where there, you know, there's like a bigger stage and there, you know, you get there and there's crews that go, hello, hello, Mr. Frank. You know, like I love those gigs because there's people, they take your gear, they set it up for you, they help you break it down. And, and and that's really important too. Like I really, I, I've I, I really um one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is to pay attention to um to just the health of my hands. Because one thing that would used to bum me out is I would drive, you know, whatever hours to a gig and then start playing and my hands hurt. And because I realized I'm holding on to this hard steering wheel for whatever four hours, you know, and so I I put a on even in rental cars, I carry a, a donut with me, right? The car donut that you slip over and a pair of padded gloves. I think I have one right here, but um just just to keep my hands, you know, um just to, you know, just to keep my hands soft. So it's it's just sort of less friction on my hands. So when I get there, like sometimes I'll get there, I'll have to step out of the car and play right away. You know what I mean? And I carry little like um you know, try to ice my hands, just those little tricks, which before I'm like, man, I'm not playing that good. I wonder why and that would annoy me, you right. know? So it's just, it's just, it's a learning process, you know, just, you know, just l learn something new every day, learn something from someone else, you know, like, uh, I think one of our friends, every time I zoom, he had a, like a sticker on the back. Okay. Like take it one show at a time, you know what I mean? <laughs> one at a time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because, yeah. and everybody's body is different. You know, yeah, and you have to pay attention to your vocal cords and the your yeah. whole body and your hands. Obviously, you can't play if your hands yeah. are hurting or whatever. So, was there ever a time in your life where you considered seriously doing anything else for your profession other than music? 
Well, I'll tell you what. So I had this, I had this thing happen. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but essentially my dream band, uh, I went and saw my dream band and, um, and asked them, Hey, like if you guys ever need a fill in or something like that, because I'd noticed they'd been using some different guitar players. Um, so the singer, uh, gave me his email. I was like, email me. So after the show, he, um, I emailed him and he's like, okay, like, you know, um, we have some gigs coming up, you know, go ahead and do them. I'm like, wow. I mean, I was just freaking out. I, I never posted anything publicly. I've learned don't post anything publicly until it's actually happening. Right. Right. Um, didn't post, but told a lot of my friends and they were really excited for me and stuff like that. Went to the rehearsal, long story short, went to the rehearsal and um, never, never met anyone else in the band. Right. They're just like, here's some guy coming in to fill in. Right. And um, um, so I had problems with my pedal board and my amp like 10 seconds into playing. Oh no. And I could feel all the blood like draining from my body. I'm like, this is like one of those one of those bad, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Adam Sandler movies or something like that. Where, but no one was laughing, right? right. And then, and then, um, so the other musicians were sort of making comments, you know, like I won't say what, but you know, um, I you know I play with some Grateful Dead musicians, and if that were to happen in a Grateful Dead setting, everyone would come up and give you a hug, I mean, bake you some, you know, like. But, you know, the harder rock world, I think it's just a little different, you know, um, a little different drive. You know what I mean? And um, and so essentially, like, we didn't even make it through the whole set and it affected my playing. You know, I'm just like, oh, man, like, I just felt like the worst. And I'll and I'll tell you something that happened to my father at some point. He walked away from playing drums and he walked away from the music business. And I never understood that because he was such an amazing drummer. I mean, he was like, you know, like a Buddy Rich or he's just one of those, you know, one of those people that was just really, really amazing, you know. And and then when he stopped playing, I'm like, Dad, but you're such a great drummer. Why aren't you out there playing drums? Sometimes he would sit in at this place called Something's Fishy. It was in a restaurant in Ventura. They had a little, you know, jazz open mic or something. And I was trying to get tell my drummer friends, like, man, you don't know how great of a drummer my dad is. Like, I was so proud of him. You know what I mean? Right. And I and I and I remember saying, like, Dad, how can you, how can you not want to just play drums all the time? And he, you know, he sort of lost that desire. And in that moment, like when I, well, sorry, let me fast forward. So they called me on Monday. They're like, sorry, man. You know, we're go- we we're using someone else. And I'm just like, oh, oh my, it broke my heart. And, and I literally didn't, didn't touch a guitar. I didn't, you know, I looked at my guitars and I sort of looked at them with disgust mm. and, and, you know, we could probably analyze this for a long time, but I mean, that was a really hard blow to me. In fact, um, I, I started getting into the mode where, you know, I'm just going to sell my guitars and, and like, that's it. Like I, and, and then. I finally, I sort of understood how my dad could lose that feeling for wanting to play music. I just lost all desire to play music. So I shared this with a few of my friends. They told me some one story, war stories. Bill told me a really good one. <laughs> um, but uh, 
you know, and, and it, you know, it was, it was, it was important for me to just to vocalize this to other people. I wasn't looking for someone to talk me out of playing. I just needed to get how I was feeling off my chest. Right. You know what I mean? And then, um, and, you know, um, and they just kind of let me go through whatever I had to go through. And I, I went to a, um, a barbecue thing up in Big Sur and, uh, was in a, this other band. And I told them, I'm, you know, like part time, like, you know, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I'm not playing guitar right now. There was one band that I play with, um, an acdc tribute band called high voltage and those gigs you know i told them i'm like you know okay those are the only gigs i'm playing i'm gonna find something else to do you know what i mean and then uh wow i didn't even think about this so um i had some buyers for some of my les pauls sent them pictures and stuff like that and they're like okay here's the open space on my wall rack where that les paul is going to go and all this other stuff and then like out of the blue, one of those guys from this is like two or three months later, you know, I mean, I, I, just, I didn't do anything, you know, it was like almost like COVID again, you know, and um, one of those guys from junior high called me and he's like, hey, we need someone, we need someone for this band. Um, and then that was like, that was like, you know, the light shining through. I'm like, you know, Alan's asking me. You know, I think I can do this again. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of my 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 lifeline back into playing guitar. So I picked up the Les Paul, um, started playing, you know, charting out these songs, like, you know, 20 Aerosmith songs, whatever, you know, and um, and Aerosmith songs are fun to play, you know, and they're they're not as complicated to play as, you know, some really insane, you know, like crazy metal or hard rock or whatever you know it's just fun blues fun songs fun lyric and i sort of fell in love with playing guitar again mm-hmm. and then i'll tell you this really crazy story i was in las vegas with this guy uh we were doing this thing and um uh there was this 20 year old kid there and i was giving him a ride to his hotel he was staying over where the where elvis used to play it's called the westgate it used to be the international or whatever and I get a phone call and it's, it's the band, right? It's the band that I got booted from. They're like, Hey man, can you do two gigs next year? I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started tearing up. It was a really overwhelming moment for me. And so this 20 year old kid, right. I'm sitting here just sort of tearing up on the phone just, and then, and, and he's like, you know, everything okay. You know, and I'm just like, man, those are tears of joy. You know, and I I don't know what any of that means, um, but I guess that's something I had to go through. You know what I mean? Well, um, you know, I always tell everybody if if it's your calling and if it's really what you're meant to do, yeah. That even if you try to give it up or walk away from it, it keeps coming back and it keeps yeah. coming back and it won't yeah. leave you alone. And yeah. and that's what I heard in that story. It's like there was. That human party is like, I'm done. I can't do this. This just hurts too much. Yeah. And then the invitation came and you had the choice when they called you, whether you were going to say yes or not. Well, you know, someone asked me, someone asked me, um, you know, during these conversations I would have, they're like, well, 
you know, if they called you back, would you take the gig? And I, and I'm, and I, I thought about it for a long time. And the answer is yes. You know, only I'll bring two lamps. <laughs> I, I found some flaws in the pedal board. One of them was the pedal. Uh, I won't say who the manufacturer was, but, um, you know, I'm going through, I'm plugging stuff in, I'm, you know, and I'm like, uh, and the thing that I thought like was, couldn't have been the problem because of how great this pedal is. Um, when I would unplug it, uh, when I would plug it in, all the lights on my uh, power circuit would go red. Ooh. I'm like, oh, okay. And I, you can't see that under the board. It wasn't until I flipped everything over. So I called them. They're like, yeah, send us the pedal. Probably as a short, we'll fix it. So, you know, um, I'm going to, I mean, I've usually been really good about my gear, but, you know, when I play with it, I'm going to bring two pedal boards, two amps. I always bring way too many guitars anyway. Um, you know, and it just, you know, that old sort of scouting thing, you know, be prepared. <laughs> right. Right. Be ready. Cause you, you never, ever know what no. electronics and those kinds of things are going to do. And you just, yeah. reminded me, you just reminded me of this great comment that I had this client he's um, a bass guitar player and, and um, his um, office was at Hollywood and vine um, mm. right about half a block away. And, and so uh, we were up in his office and, his dad from indiana was there and his dad was like why do you have so many guitars on the wall you can only play one at a time you know i just don't understand why there's so many and they're like not at least 10 at least probably more and um he just looked at me and and he goes dad doesn't get it i said no he doesn't he doesn't understand i said but they all have their own soul they have their own sound it's it's a thing it matters and um, but his dad never did figure it out, and that's okay because his dad wasn't a guitar player, so or or a musician. His dad had other really great talents and skills, and um, and you just reminded me of that with all of your. Guitar. Well, you know, my wife used to ask me, you know, well, why do you have so many guitars? You only have one pair of hands. <laughs> I said, well, why do you have so many shoes? You only have one pair of feet. <laughs> that's a good one. That was probably the worst argument I ever won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably that wasn't the best line, but it is. No, that's one I should have thought about later when I'm, you know, two days later when I'm driving down. I should have said that. (laughs) (laughs) Like the curse in reverse here. So how do you work with your daughters on following their vision? Are they going into music? Yeah, both of my daughters do piano competitions. They've both been in. Youth Symphony, my 15-year-old daughter's in the San Luis Obispo Symphony now. Um, you know, I just took her to rehearsal last night. So, that, I mean, they both, you know, um, passed it on to them. And, I've, you know, we've had jam sessions. There's basses and guitars laying around the house. And you know, I used to love, they'd be just sitting in the room, like, singing a song, one of them on, on a guitar, you know. Um, you know, then my other daughter plays violin, and, you know, she's going to sit in with us. We, uh, we're putting on a we put on a new year's benefit show every year and um um what do you call it so my daughter's gonna play piano on feeling all right and then violin on a song by Haim called hallelujah which is a really amazing song oh my god that is cool so your wife is a musician too or no no so she's in a house with the three of you yeah she actually hates me She's not a big music fan. She didn't grow up, you know, in a family that, you know, was where music was a priority. And, you know, her her tastes are a little different. I did take her to, with me to David Lee Roth at the uh, House of Blues on New Year's Eve once. 
back in 90 something or whatever. I don't even know what the year it was. And she was looking at my friend, Steve and I, cause we could barely talk the next day. Cause I mean, to see, you know, Van Halen singer at the house of blues, we, of course we got there early. We're right in the front. We're screaming our heads off all night. And she's like, why, why are you, why are you people so crazy? You know, <laughs> her taste, I took her to see Kenny G at the two match casino, which is literally the worst concert I've ever been to. And it had nothing to do with the music. He actually sells CDs in the middle of his show. Like he held up the middle. He stopped the show and he had a saxophone. He's like, I'm going to give this saxophone to someone tonight. And we're like, whoo. He's like, all you need is the winning ticket. I'm like ticket. And there's literally, there's a CD booth at the front of the stage where you can buy CDs. And so there's a line to buy. So he's like, you know, if you, if you buy one CD, you get one ticket. If you buy a CD and I sign it, you get three tickets. And my wife's like, I want that sax. You know, my daughter's played sax in junior high. <laughs> you know, I want that. I want that Kenny G sax. So, so here I am in line in the middle of the show while the show is going on with other people. And she already had the CD that I'm buying, but it was just, that was just too weird for me. You know, it's weird. And then it was weird. It was just weird. Like, I mean, I've seen, you know, you've got your merch booth in the back, or if you're in a club, it's on the side, but you know, like don't sell CDs in the middle of your show. And I took her to see Lionel Richie. That was a great show. You know, I probably wouldn't have gone to see him on my own, but you know, she just loves that kind of, you know, eighties, you know, what's it called? MOR rock, middle of the road rock, you know, soft rock. Right. All that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's a balance there. Right. That's cool. So what do you do for fun? I play pinball. Pinball. Nice. Yeah. So whenever I go to Las Vegas, um, I go straight from the airport to this place called the Pinball Hall of Fame. It used to be way over on East Tropicana, you know, in the middle of nowhere, like five miles off the strip. But now it's actually on the strip. Um, they built this huge... You know, it's like a Walmart size building with just pinball machines and video games. And they have pinball machines from the, um, you know, from the first ones ever made till now. And you can play them. Uh, they're playable. You know, they have all the old 80s video games. And, uh, you know, my my friends and I, you know, my my best friend, Larry, you know, we're there's a uh, there's a website, uh, pinballfinder.com or something like that. So when I'm on the road. I'll punch in the city or wherever I'm in and go, Ooh, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, a kiss pinball machine two blocks away, or there's a, you know, there's a monopoly pinball, you know, five miles away. I mean, I've driven like 20 miles on the road just to go play pinball that I love. I love playing pinball. I've been doing it ever since I could look over the, you know, the top of one, you know, um, I was going to buy one during COVID. Like a lot of people were selling them really cheap because they're not, they're not that cheap really. Uh, someone had like my dream one. It's called Gorgar. It was the first talking pinball machine. It had this demon on it and the, like the whole thing would shake. And I remember playing that when I was like nine, 10 years old, just being terrified. <laughs> and uh, so it was for sale, like on Craigslist. I should have bought it. Um, but I didn't, but you know, maybe, maybe someday. And actually at NAM, if you're, if anyone's familiar with NAM, um, we were killing time at NAM. I think it was 2021. Yeah. 2021. And we're standing there 
And there was a, a booth called Rock and Roll Industries. They had an Iron Maiden pinball machine and a Minaret guitar. And it said, you know, the whoever gets the high score wins the guitar. So at the time, the high score was 91 million. Right. And and they're like, oh, we don't think anyone's going to beat that. So, so I'm so I'm there playing it, playing it, playing it. I get past 91 million. I get past 100 million. I get past 150 million, 250 million. I'm over 300 million. And the people at the booth had left, right? They're walking around somewhere because it was like a small booth. And then I'm screaming at my friends, uh, Steve, like, dude, he's talking to, to some girls that he knows. I'm like, Steve. And of course, you can't hear anything at NAM. It's so loud in there, right? Right. I'm like, so finally I get his attention. I'm like, you have to fill me playing this pinball machine and beating it so I can win the guitar. But then they came back and they're like, oh my God. So, you know, so. Uh, all those all those quarters that I've lost, you know, finally, and years of training finally paid off. I won this awesome Minaric SG guitar. <laughs> oh, I love it. That That is brilliant. That's brilliant. So if somebody's listening to us right now and they're thinking, man, I want to do that. I want to I want to learn guitar and I want to play and I want to like let it happen. You know, like I know people who have musician parents and they kind of had the secret dream. Like they want to follow the musical part of their family, but for whatever reason they got distracted or were afraid or stopped themselves. And so if somebody's in that stuck space, what would you tell them to help encourage? I would, I would say, uh, first of all, um, find some, look, look online, look wherever, find some kind of an open mic, open jam places where there's other musicians congregating. And then if you haven't done it before, just go to those with without any goal, just to hang out, just to kind of see what's the process like. What are people doing? You know, like what are they using on the guitars? It's like, you know, a friend of mine who was a, a or a, an actor, he said, you know, before he before he became an actor, he became an extra just to under, look around and understand like what's happening on the set. Right. Because you're, it's a totally so. So going to like an open mic, a jam night, um, you can look in, you know, whatever, you know, um, here where I live, there was someone put on that. Hey, we get together, you know, once a month and we just play bluegrass, which is three chords. So if you if you only know three chords and want to have a blast, find uh, like like a, a bluegrass circle because you just know. D, G, and C, and literally that's it. Those are the only three chords, you know, 90% of the time you'll ever use. And you will have so much fun playing those three chords over and over and over and over. And if you're learning bass and only know three notes, they will welcome you with open arms because there's a lot of a lot of guitar players, some mandolin players, maybe a, a, a what do you call it, a banjo, something like that. Um, the one that I joined, it's, like there was, I brought a guitar, but I realized there's no bass. So I brought my bass and here I am playing three notes and, dun, 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 you know, bluegrass. And they're just like, wow, you know, those three notes just like really change the whole, the whole sound of the band. Cause it's, it's adding this, this lower end. And they were so happy that I was there. Cause I was this, this piece of the puzzle that, you know, that was missing. And, and, um, you know, and, it, you know, I didn't have to go in there thinking, okay, well, I've got to be as good as Eric Clapton to play with these guys or got to be as good as Yngwie Malmsteen. Or, it's like, hey, man, I'm playing three notes. I'm playing three chords and everyone just sitting around smiling, you know, so find a bluegrass jam. 
and that, and that's really fun. And it and it's what you're saying is kind of what you were saying about what happened when you were at the school and you went and sat down and all of the guitar players came around that you put yourself in position. If you're interested yeah. in saying, okay, I want to be part of the scene, whatever, when whatever thing, go put yourself in the position and just yeah. feel it out and see what's going on and then go from there. I think that's really good advice about following a vision is like you have the vision and then go put yourself in the position. Even if it's as a spectator, like you said, first, just go checking it out. Yeah. Um, and then seeing like, how does it feel? Does it resonate with me? Is this what I want to do? And then, and then if that one place doesn't, there's also, there's more, you know, just keep staying open-minded and keep going after it. I think that's really good advice. Cause I think so many times people overthink things, you know, mm -hmm. they get that, what I call analysis paralysis. They think so much and they, then it stops them from just going out and having fun and being in the vibe. Yeah. Well, that's why I like I have these recording things. I have this little task app, right? I don't know if it'll show up on Zoom because they blur things out. And this is just super simple. Like I started getting into like doing stuff on the computer and I have a bigger task band behind it. But like for me, someone's saying, well, here's this thing and you can have like every amplifier ever made with every distortion box ever made with ever, every, I'm just like, oh man, like, okay, that's like, you know, it's like the dog with two bones, right? They look, you know, looks in the water and, oh, I want that bone, he opens his mouth to get it. And he, for me, just sort of sometimes less is more, you know, like I, you know, um, but everyone's different. For someone else, they may be like, oh, wow. Yeah, I need that. I need all that stuff. I'm a little more streamlined, you know. Um, and I just, I didn't want the technology sort of slowing me down. Like you're saying analysis process, like, oh, should I use a 1973 Fender or 1978? Okay, let me Google and see what people are chatting about it on Reverb. Like, oh, okay, but, you know, but, you know, Eric Clapton used one in a club in 1976, but in 1970, you know, he loaned it to, you know, Billy, you know, it's just like, okay. And now it's like, you know, okay. I just needed to record myself playing three chords or whatever. <laughs> right, right. I yeah. think, I think streamlining things is important is just, you know, have fun and go with the flow of it because you can overdo it. And, and then I think that takes some of the beauty away from it. You know, you can get so yeah. overly technical that the artistry and the creativity can be diminished or at least feel diminished. And it's a time factor too, you know, I mean, like during COVID, I, I thought, well, maybe I'll learn how to do all this stuff, but I just spent a lot of time just actually playing the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. All right. So is there anything that you wanted to share today that I didn't ask you about, or we didn't talk about before I asked you our final questions? of the Can I do a plug? Can I do a plug for something? Sure. Absolutely. So I went to my friend Thomas's house and this guy was there. This is a guitar slide. And it's angled and it's just sort of like a really cool thing. It's called slidewinderring.com. And I've been playing with it for a couple of days. And like, instead of putting a whole slide on your finger. Um, oh, and it's magnetized. That's the, I've seen similar things like this before, but you put it and then it, it you know, it hugs the strings and it's just there all the time. So, um, you know, like I didn't have this yesterday <laughs> or, uh, or the day before yesterday, I didn't have it. And now I have it. And I just, and I just don't want to take it off my finger. So I just put in a plug, plug for his name, Alex. And I, I bought one off him and they're just amazing. 
Oh, that's really amazing. So we'll put the link in the show notes so everybody can go there if you're interested in it. And you will find Frank's bio in the show notes as well. And um, I love I love watching the neat things that you do and the places that you play and all of that. I think it's well, thank you. fun to thank watch you. living your vision. So is there anything else you wanted to say? Anything on your heart before I ask these last questions? Happy holidays. <laughs> yes, right. Happy New Year. I'm probably the first one to tell you that, but you know, Happy New Year. Yeah, so the show's <laughs> going to air right after the New Year, so it'll be perfect. Oh, nice. Okay. Happy New Year. <laughs> yes, right. Okay, so um, your final two questions are, with all of the traveling you've done all over the place and all of the different experiences, what's the most memorable food you've ever eaten? Oh, the most memorable food probably in India. It's a spicy rice dish it's called biryani. And um, like I love spicy food. And um, so I was in Hyderabad um, and uh, took a bite and just fell in love with it. So anytime I go to an Indian restaurant, you know, I, I, I'll i ask them, do you have biryani and how spicy can you make it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's excellent. I, yeah. I love Indian food. I'm going to have to ask for that. I don't think I've ever had it. Sounds good. And so your final question of the show is this. If we were going to put a billboard up that the whole world was going to see, everybody was going to see this billboard with Frank Osgood's quote on it, what would your quote be that you want the whole world to see? Um, the, <laughs> the whole court. Wow, that's heavy. Um, um, you know, something from the 70s, like keep on trucking. Keep on trucking. That's a good keep one. On trucking, you know, because that, you know, like just keep moving forward. Yeah. Ah, I love it. I love it. And nobody has said that yet. And I love that. That oh, okay. brought it back to me. So that's been the most common one. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for taking time out of your life and your schedule the day after your birthday to be here with us and inspire all of us to keep following our vision. So thank you so much, Frank, for being here. Thank you, Diane. Great to be here. All right. Remember, everybody, keep your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You are here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and follow your vision. And as Frank says, keep on trucking. Till the next episode, <laughs> if someone gets me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.